It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Born Bergstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm Dan Steinbach. I'm joined alongside by Colby and Bergstrom. We want to welcome you guys back into listening to the podcast. Uh, had a little bit of background hiccup with last week's episode. There is an episode that was scheduled to be released on June 18th, um, but that just didn't get put out onto the internet. So if this podcast gets out, we're hoping that it does. This will be our first one that you'll be hearing since June 7th. Um, I'm sure we'll try to get that one out to you guys as fast as possible, but just a quick recap, nothing too earth shattering happened that we discussed last week. Um, just a quick recap. We talked a little bit about Lane stadium getting to hundred percent capacity. Uh, we talked about Virginia schools sending a letter to governor Northam about fast forwarding NIL laws. Uh, we had the startings of the MLB sticky substances policy change. Um, and then we talked a little bit about NBA playoffs and then we were like halfway through Euro uh, group stage play. So we talked a little bit about that, a little bit of a recap for there. So basically this week is almost a continuation of last week's episode. So, um, you know, when we get that out to you, uh, be sure to listen to it if you feel like you're missing anything. But I think that that's a pretty solid recap. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to welcome in Colburn. Colburn, how are you doing today? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, as you said, hopefully I'll get dropped as soon as possible. But um... Uh, I mean, in particular, you know, we'll have some stuff to follow up on uh, either of those and stuff to follow up on the June 7th and uh, June 7th pod. And I'm excited for, I mean, I, I wouldn't say, you know, it's, it's like a explosive week or anything, but what I'm going to say is it's a jam-packed week and I think there's a lot of fun stuff to cover. So I uh, hope you've been well as well. I have been. I've actually been very well. You know, to quote Rob Manfred in a way, these last few days have gone very well for me. <laughs> no. Oh, I, know oh I, I, I honestly, I, I think I know exactly what you mean. I think that'd be a great thing to start on. Oh man. Well, first of all, okay. I was just hanging out at work and I know I, I'm pretty sure you saw my tweet about it, but Rob Manfred's <laughs> a clown and we're going to get to that second because I'm not going to try to waste so much time on it today, but Jesus, man, how do you come out and just say that? But for me personally, these last two days have been very good. have been very kind to me and my city because we are recording this on Thursday, June 24th. And of course, not even 48 hours ago, on Tuesday night at around 8.48 Eastern Standard Time, the NBA draft lottery commenced. And oh boy, this was probably one of the most nerve-wracking days as a Detroit fan in a long time. Um, Just remembering back, I would have to say, well, first of all, the worst sports loss I've ever experienced was the David Ortiz Grand Slam in 2013 in the ALCS. So that alone those Detroit Tigers teams gave me some stress, but overall that's like almost a decade ago as a sports fan. I really haven't had something so nerve wracking come up. Like, I mean, the, the Cowboys have been in the playoffs a couple of times. Um, but aside from that, I'm all Detroit sports aside from football. So yeah, nothing really this impactful has happened. And, you know, they just went through and we had a couple of jumps, you know, when we got to that top four and when we got to the sixth spot, I was like, all right, two teams jumped up. The Pistons are definitely here at six. And then it, it wasn't them. And then it was the fifth pick and the Pistons weren't there. So I was like, all right, cool. The Pistons are in the top four. So then the commercial break happens and I'm rocking the awesome throwback Grant Hill teal, you know, horse on fire Jersey. That is probably honestly, I think they need to bring it back. I think the Pistons logo is very boring. So I think they need to definitely bring back the retro look, but anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
the fourth pick happens and it's the Raptors. And I'm like, all right, all right. And then it's the Cavs at three. I'm like, oh my God, is this happening? It's like, no, they're going to give it to the Rockets. And then the Rockets came up. Well, actually, no, I was watching on my phone. I was watching ESPN on my phone. So I had a delay. So I had the, t- the tweet update come, the tweet notification come from Sham Strahanya. And when it said NBA draft order one, Detroit, and I freaked out. I was so happy that it happened, man. Um, look, I don't need to go into like too much detail about like the Detroit Pistons and their rebuilding process, but this is what it is. The Pistons for the last decade have been absolute garbage. And they've always been hovering in this uh, no man's land of the NBA's eight seed through 11 seed in their conference. You know, they made the playoffs as an eight seed three times in I think the last 10 years. And they didn't win one playoff game. They got swept out of the first round all three times. And ever since then, it's either been that or they are in that nine to 12 range where they're in the lottery, but they're always ending up with the seventh pick. And it's just not the way to build a franchise. And then they finally clean house. You know, they bring in Dwayne Casey after getting rid of Stan Van Gundy. Uh, They hire in Troy Weaver as an actual real GM, which is something they haven't had in so long. And it takes one year and Troy Weaver masterfully maneuvers through his first draft, even after, because the thing was the Pistons dropped in that draft as well. They were, I think the fifth had the fifth best odds in the 2020 draft and they dropped down to seven, but they still take Killian Hayes who looks, who looks pretty good. And then even still his maneuverings throughout the rest of the first round land them two all rookie teamers and first teamer Steve Bay and second teamer Isaiah Stewart. So Troy Weaver had, had an amazing first year, took a hit in the draft, still worked his way around it, made some, some free agency signings. I mean, the Jeremy Grant one was pretty good. Um, and, and then he just, he's able to play young players and they looked competitive, but they weren't good. Like they, they obviously weren't a good team. They were the second worst team in the league, but then they win the draft lottery and now they're going to get Cade Cunningham. And look, they can have all the leaks they want to have about, Oh, they're like, they like Jalen green or they're thinking about trading the pick. No, they're taking Cade. The only team that Cade's working out for is Detroit. Until Cade says I'm working out for someone else. The, the Pistons are taking him. And well, well, I mean, you, you saw what uh, ESPN tweeted out like a couple minutes after, right? Uh, what what tweeted out about Cade only working out yeah, with Pistons? Yeah, Cade, Cade literally said that the only city he's going to is Detroit. And look, that's great because it could have been a situation where you have the Eli Manning situation or you have the smoke screen. I think I want to say Lonzo said he only wanted to play for the Lakers when he was up for contention for the number one pick. Um, you know, Detroit isn't a city that free agents want to come to right now, but the fact that a young potential superstar is saying, yeah, I'll I'll work out for these guys. They're the number one pick. I want to play there. That's awesome. And it's just so refreshing. And the Pistons are going to be watchable. They were already pretty watchable last season. They were competitive and they still had some talent, but now you have Cade, who's going to be a number one pick. He's going to be a potential, not only face of your franchise, but could end up being like one of the faces of the league in a couple of years. And that's exciting. That kind of potential superstar to have on your team is exciting. So, man, I, I was just so happy Tuesday night. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, what are, what are your immediate reactions to it? Because the lottery overall was not was, was pretty chalk. I mean, Toronto was the largest jumper. Um, you have Orlando falling out of the top four. Uh, other than that, like Golden State keeps Minnesota's pick. Orlando keeps their pick from the Chicago trade. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't too surprised by anything in the lottery. And then the Rockets and the Pistons just flip one and two and Hey man, I'll take whatever I can get. All I will say the city of Detroit did so much in preparation for this lottery. We had 
so much interaction on social media. We had so many people just willing us into existence. We had the number one radio show in the, in the station. Their producer is a pastor and they had him get up on and literally give a sermon about the Pistons getting number one pick. And they come on the next day and they're talking about how they made God make this happen. And it was just such a fun, like 24 hours just to experience the city and the fan base be so excited about something for once. Cause like now, now when you look at it, if you look at the landscape of Detroit sports, you know, the Pistons are quickly on the rise right now and the Tigers are bad. And, but the Red Wings, you know, they have maybe potential. The Lions are really starting their rebuild now um, without Matt Stafford, but the Pistons have really jumped to the forefront of stuff in this city. And man, I'm telling you, it's, it's very exciting. And I cannot wait to buy myself a Cade Cunningham t-shirt <laughs> as soon yeah. as his number gets dropped. As soon as they announce they are unretiring number two to give to Cade Cunningham, I'm buying that. It's going to be so quick. Oh man. I was very excited. What was your reaction to the draft lottery? Uh, well, for the whole, whole lottery, I mean, my first thing was was uh, just congrats to you and congrats to Detroit. It's I, I know it's a big thing. You're saying how much is a big thing. And uh, I mean, with kind of, as you even mentioned, the fact of kind of Detroit sports now is kind of like you got the Lions that are sliding down and then you got, you know, a couple of teams like Tigers and Red Wings that are like either toss-ups or falling down a little bit, like I think you said for the Tigers. Uh, the, the fact that you have like a team that the city can get behind uh is great and as you mentioned as well you guys got a uh, what was it isaiah stewart and um acidic bay uh both on all rookie teams respectively and they're very impressive players so to have that young talent uh alongside like even some of the other pieces that you guys were able to find this year as well i mean i'm gonna look up your roster but like one guy um like that i specifically know because he was a jayhawk uh, was Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson was, uh, I think, statistically pretty solid for you guys this past year. And I just, I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want him anymore. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Josh I Jackson mean, thing is done. I, I'm not, I'm not saying he's great, but I mean, like, it looks like he played all, like all right for you guys at least score wise. Obviously, as you mentioned, Killian Hayes, a pretty solid guard. Uh, you guys, got if he can learn to shoot, man, he's 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 going to be something good. Like he, oh yeah, he was he was flirting with some triple doubles this year. He's a really good assist guy. It's just his scoring. But now, you know, I got people in the Detroit fan base saying like, oh, they should go for after Jalen Green because now they need to score. It's like, dude, Cade scored twenty points a game. He can score. He's mainly a facilitator, oh, yeah. but that's like the beautiful thing of him. He's kind of got like that Steph Curry thing where he can play off ball, but he can also facilitate and he can score and he can shoot. He's he's like a really well rounded player. Like he's he's really, really good. And I'm so excited that they're going to get him because he's going to fit. Kate Cunningham is that guy where it's like, you can just fit him. He fits in with every offensive scheme. It's not like a, it's like a clay Thompson type situation where like everyone would love a clay Thompson because who doesn't want a guy that can just spot up and shoot and, you know, run around screens and do something like that, you know, and and Kate can play off ball. I'm not worried about Kate's fit. I mean, Kate is going to be incredible. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I agree with that. And then, you know, I mean, even with some of the other players, like, as you said, Jeremy Grant's been good. Ambidiala's um, been good. Uh, or, like, or at least, like, he's good and young. Uh, so same thing as Sigmundumbia. Like, you, you guys got, like, a very young team and a lot of really talented prospects. And as you said, um, and I'll even add to it, I'm someone who not only is a little bit more attentive with college basketball, but more importantly, since I'm kind of the Big 12 rep in the, you know, on the pod here, I was able to watch Cade Cunningham and I remember I specifically watched like a full game um, of Cade. I, I, I watched all this stuff as well, but I watched like 
the one full game I was really able to catch was the semifinals of Baylor versus Okie State. And uh, if I remember, that was like Okie State knocked him off in that game. And Cade was like, I think he was good. If I remember, he wasn't great shooting the ball, but like overall creating in that game, he was great. And like leading up before that, he was great for Oklahoma State. The reason that Oklahoma State was, I think, a four seed uh, over the tournament was because of someone like Cade Cunningham. So the fact that you guys are going to be able to get someone like this who is able to work defensively, but I mean, more importantly, is able to create and is a good shooter. I want to put this in mind as well. From what I remember, though, I can even uh, like I haven't looked at back at it stat wise. I remember when Trey Young was coming out of the NBA, uh, coming into the NBA draft. I think that was the 2018 draft class. And if you don't think like Cade has really good numbers, but if you know if you're not sold on Cade's numbers. Go back and look at, I'm pretty sure, Trey Young's numbers in the second half of the Big 12 season. Because I I personally remember, like, OU was a team that I think kept it close, if not maybe even beat that Jayhawks team. And that was back when we had, like, Frank Mason and whatnot. And then after halfway through the season, Trey started to get a little bit cold. And the whole OU team's kind of, like, collapsed around him. And then Trey Young, I think, started to find his groove a little bit again towards March Madness. And whether they made it in or not, I don't quite remember. But I think Trey Young got a little cold towards the end of it. And now, you know, someone who we're going to talk about as we go into the playoffs, uh, like here soon. But like, look at Trey Young. Trey Young now is incredible. And Trey Young's coming from that Big Twelve uh, point guard position, and he's dominating, and he's just looking better and better, and he's kind of just outshining everyone's expectations, particularly here in the playoffs. So. You guys should have a gem in Cade Cunningham. He looks great um, in college. Uh, I can't really speak for his high school days. I don't keep up with like high school ball, but I know that, you know, he was the top prospect coming out of high school. But yeah, it's a big thing for the city, big thing for the team. And with how young you guys are, give, give that team a little bit of time to gel. Um, and I mean, I think you guys would still have enough money to go and sign like a huge free agent in the, that time you guys could be really competitive in the East. The East isn't like, you know, the strongest conference. We talk about like the same few teams in the East for like three, four years at a time until that team, like one of those teams finally dropped off. Like, hell, we talked about the Celtics for like the past, what, six years that it was their time. And then it wasn't. So you guys are going to take a couple of years, but you guys will get up there and your team will develop around each other. And Hopefully, you guys will be great. I think this team is very capable of making the play-in next season. As like oh, the absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I, mean, Charlotte, I, don't, I don't think that's an impossibility. Yeah, Charlotte did it this year, and they made it as a 10 after Lamelo was out for, like, what, a couple months or something? And even still here, let me just, like, look up the standings real quick. Because, um, I, like, you don't need a good record to make the, to make the play-in. I mean, here, Eastern oh, Conference, yeah. the Hornets were six games under five hundred. Yep. And the Pacers and Wizards were both four games under 500 and the Celtics were 500. Like be less than 10 games under 500 and you're, you've got a good chance of getting into with, the plan. With the players you have, you guys are going to have a strong shot of getting 10. And if not, you're not going to be far off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm definitely very excited for uh, next season. And okay. Hey, even still th- think about it like this to me, c- compare the situation with like a Cade Cunningham in Detroit to a Zion in New Orleans. You have what you, you have to learn from this Zion situation. You have to learn, you, you have to cater the franchise to Kate Cunningham now, which I don't think is difficult because I don't think that there's anyone on this roster right now that should compete with Kate Cunningham for like face of the franchise 
you know, material. Um, you have to pretty much cater the offense, the roster to Cade, and it's very easy to do that. I think it's a little more difficult with a guy like Zion because if you go out and you sign a center like Steve Adams, well, that limits um, Zion's ability to do his thing and be one of those, one of the best finishers inside in the NBA. When you have a guy like Steven Adams who can't stretch the floor. Um, so that can lead to Zion and his family wanting to get out of new Orleans. I don't, I just don't want that to happen with Detroit. And even still, if you get, if you strike magic and you have, you know, K and you have the roster around him and you make him happy, then that leads to maybe potential free agents. Like you said, wanting to come play for K and there's not a good free agent class this year outside of if Kawhi declines his player option, but next year has a lot of good free agents. You know, you got Brad Beal out there. Um, I said, there's a lot of other ones that, are there that just aren't coming to mind right now, but yeah, if I remember right now, the, Pist- the Pistons are going to have money. The Pistons are going to have money. And I, th- I think Troy Weaver has a plan and I think he's just going to roll with the roster this year. I think he might make some niche moves uh, in the off season. Maybe Jeremy Grant isn't there a long-term plan uh, with Cade, but I- I'm excited. I- I'm just excited to see um, where this goes from here because man, and I, and I just can't wait for draft night to make it official. Um, and, and you know I mean, what? I, w- I want to compare. I want to compare uh, Cade real quick to another former number one overall pick who's, you know, that taller point guard type player. Did, did you want to say something real quick before we get into this? Oh, uh, I mean, I was going to mention a couple other teams, uh, like like a couple notes that I made, but you, we can go ahead and go with Detroit and then I can uh, hurry back to the, hustle back to that. Well, because I, I was going to do this. I, I was going to start bringing up a certain six foot 11 uh, point guard that plays for Philadelphia. Okay, okay. So no, then I'll, I'll I'll cover this real quick then. So there's a few things that I noted on draft night that I uh, uh I put out. So the first thing was obviously the Pistons. Um, the second thing, um, which I think is good to talk about, and we talked about how far they jumped, is the Raptors. The Raptors still have some good players on their team. So like you know, like they, they'll have Siakam uh, still under contract unless he forces a trade. Uh, they'll have Fred Van Fleet who they just re-signed last offseason, and they had Norman Powell, and uh. With kind of some free money getting opened up for Kyle Lowry, I think that the Raptors are also going to get back in that playoff picture next year. I, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but with the number four pick and with how talented like the draft prospects are this year, any of the top four guys they get, I think, will be a huge addition to that team. And if they're able to nab some sort of decent free agent or maybe even a couple decent free agents, I think that that team could be playoffs, uh, playoff bound, if not a playoff threat. Um. I do like what you're saying with the Raptors. Uh, I, I think that the most popular pick for them right now is looking to be uh, Jalen Suggs only because I've seen, um, you know, Cade green and Mobley be that top three. Personally, I think Jalen Suggs is the second best in this class. I think he honestly has moments where I'm looking at him and I'm like, Oh man, this could be the number one guy in this class. But the upside of Cunningham is a little greater than that of uh, Jalen Suggs. Um, so Suggs to Toronto, I like that as a fit. Uh, second pick with the Rockets, I think that they like uh, Mobley potentially. I, th- I think I've seen that or Green. Um, and then Cle- I don't know what Cleveland wants to do, but I doubt that Cleveland would go with another guard when they already have Sexton and Garland. Um, so I think Mobley there at three is probably their get. Or even if it's Jonathan Kuminga, um, who honestly I don't know. I, I don't know how much of an opinion I have on Jonathan Kuminga. Um, but yeah, J- Jalen Suggs at four kind of seems like a good fit. And especially when I have Raptors fans talking about uh, Kyle Lowry getting out of there eventually and Suggs kind of being that next guy. And it's going to be a Van Vliet 
uh, Suggs backcourt, which would be very fun to watch, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and, and and I mean, obviously, we, we can talk about Kaminga, but um, the one thing, the other note that I made, which will actually lead into Kaminga, is the fact that the Warriors and the Magic uh, both kept their picks from Timberwolves and Bolts, respectively. And this draft class is pretty strong. I'm going to list off names, including Jonathan Kaminga. Obviously, you have Kate Cunningham. Uh, you got Evan Mobley, who was absolutely dominant uh, the, in, throughout his time in the Pac-12. Jalen Green, um, which I'm pretty sure is the Aussie League, uh, I think. Uh, Jalen Suggs from Zaga. You got Davian Mitchell from Baylor. Jonathan Kaminga, um, League Ignite as well. Uh, you, you know, you got Keon Johnson. Uh, you got Scotty Barnes, Kai Jones, uh, Moses Moody from uh, Arkansas, Corey Kispert. Like, this is honestly a really loaded draft class. And I think that people, not only in the lottery range, but specifically teams in, like, that top six, top eight, aren't going to be disappointed at all with the player that they get. Yeah, uh, I think the top of the lottery is very good. Um, And then you have some other players that show some potential throughout the rest of the draft class, which honestly is really um, how most years go anyways. Uh, But yeah, I I am very intrigued to see how a team like the Warriors uh, uses their two draft picks Um, because they're that team. They were in that play in they have an MVP Steph Curry. They're getting clay back. They have Wiggins. They have James Wiseman. You know, how are they going to maneuver that? Are they going to try to start to sell off assets to try to, bring in another star and really load up on veteran stars or do they want to try to do this thing where they are supplementing uh, the big three of Curry, Clay, Draymond with some younger talent so that they can both use their veteran talent to win while at the same time build for the future, which is kind of like that halfway thing, which you can't really do in the NBA, but if anyone yeah. can do it, I feel like it would be the Warriors. Um, so outside of like the Pistons, I would say the Warriors are one of my more fascinating teams in terms of the direction they're going, oh, no, the Pistons, I, I they're, they're only going up Whereas well, the Warriors, like they can go in multitude of different ways in order to improve their roster. No, I, I agree. I think the Warriors are going to be going up, but um, I mean, I honestly, I would kind of still be on team trade away Draymond if you can, no, nothing like fully against Draymond, but at this point, like they, they, they might need to get a little bit younger. And I don't know, like, obviously with clay coming back, it's going to be fun, but you know, you have questions of is clay going to be the old clay? And I right. think you like, which I think is fair. And I think you have, you know, more fair questions. I mean, obviously, if I remember right, Steph Curry might be out of his contract. Um, I would assume that he's going to come back, but I think there's a possibility he couldn't. There, there is a world. I think it's a low chance, but you know that could be a possibility. And if that happens, what's going to happen to the team? Draymond as well. He's never really been a great scorer. He's always like kind of like he's there for defense in particular. But why not try to get a forward who can help you with a little bit of offense too? Um, okay, you ready? Are you, are you ready for this? Because I think this is the perfect segue when you're talking about Draymond Green and moving off of him and getting a younger forward. Uh, well, you want to um, know who I think would help the Golden State Warriors out so much right now? I don't know if he's going to be a forward, but run it. Ben Simmons. Now, hear me out here, okay? And this is the thing with Golden State and with Draymond. Because Draymond is a forward, right? We call him that. What does Draymond do that's really forwardy? He's not like he he plays the power forward position, but he's not like and again, no one's really that like traditional back to the basket, you know, Carl Malone pick and roll type power forward anymore. But I mean, we still call him that. And like Ben Simmons, like they catered the roster around him. What if we have 
in offense. And here's the thing. The reason why Ben Simmons isn't working in Philadelphia, and we're just going to both come out and say that we both think that Ben Simmons needs to go because he's not offensively gifted. I mean, when I saw him live pass up a dunk over Trey Young for a fancy pass layup for his teammate that he missed and got fouled and missed a free throw. Like that was, that, that was just the pivotal Ben Simmons experience right there. Yep. What Ben Simmons still can offer though is all NBA defense, which Draymond can do because I mean, they're both all NBA defensive players, but he's younger and he's more athletic and he's got a better handle than Draymond. Whereas the playmaking ability is still there. Draymond's one of the best assist guys in the league. And so is Ben Simmons. And I think that Ben Simmons in an offense where you have other players that can play off ball, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are some of the best off ball players in basketball. Not only because they can shoot, they can catch and shoot obviously, but they're just naturally incredible in flowing in Steve Kerr's offense. If Ben Simmons was the Draymond green in this situation, and he would obviously have to accept this role where he is just a straight passer in an offense he's a means to an end to get Steph Curry or Clay shots I think Ben Simmons would really really work in a place like Golden State and I think that if you were to work it around where you have Ben Simmons uh, replacing a Draymond and I don't know how salary cap works but you bring in someone else you know to replace Andrew Wiggins to upgrade from Andrew Wiggins like maybe a Kawhi Leonard I know that that I'm just making up salary cap numbers. I don't know how this could even be close to working, but you sell off some assets and you get multiple stars in to help Curry and clay. I think that Ben Simmons still has a fit in this league. It's just not with Philadelphia because that's, that's his role. He's a better Draymond green. He's a much better Draymond green. He's more athletic. He can actually handle the ball. He just can't score. And if you have a team of shooters around him, like what Philadelphia needs to do, if they want, if they were to want to keep Ben Simmons would be get a bunch more Seth Curry's and a lot less Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris's. That's what they would do, but they can't do that now because Joel Embiid's better than Ben Simmons. And you're not going to build Ben Simmons is not going to be anyone's best player. He's going to be probably their second best player where it's mostly his playmaking and defense that impacts the game as opposed to his scoring ability, where if he's on the floor, he's probably your fifth option. That's just who Ben Simmons is at this point. No, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, I, I do want to look because I, I remember I looked this up yesterday and I saw some crazy like uh, like trade uh, things that I want to uh, run by you that were in articles. Um, here, let me look it up. But, I mean, I, I actually went into the uh, ESPN patented NBA trade machine to, uh, to kind of see how a trade like that would go. Um, and I feel like though obviously we don't have like picks that we can do with this um i mean tell me how you feel with like these players going one way and the other um golden state would be getting simmons and then philly though this might have to become a three-team trade would get draymond and kelly Oubre. i mean look ben simmons as of right now his value i don't think could be any lower i think his value is only gonna go up from here so if you're a team like golden state and you can see the opportunity of we're not gonna lose anything on defense because that's the thing Draymond Green is the heart and soul of that defense. If you get rid of him, you need to make sure you're having a good enough replacement. And Ben Simmons is one of the few guys in the NBA that can give you a good enough replacement for what Draymond does. Um, in terms of what Draymond doesn't like brings in terms of off metric stuff, like his defense can be measured in metrics, uh, you know, plus minus on off floor um, steals blocks, obviously those small, those numbers that you can see, but that leadership also is something that you lose from Draymond. Um, 
Ben Simmons might not be able to do that, but just in terms of raw numbers, Ben Simmons is not that much of a drop-off. Uh, but yeah, man, Ben Simmons, he's not going to be, I, I remember before the season when Philadelphia and the James Harden trades were talking, were, uh, Ben Simmons for James Harden was a trade possibility. Right now, that's not even a thought. So Ben Simmons, if you can get him for really, really cheap and you're a team like Golden State, who like, yeah, Draymond isn't exactly cheap, but he's expendable at this point. And I think it's something that you have to consider. I think it's something that a lot of teams would have to consider. Would I personally want him on the Pistons? No. But I think that there are teams around the league. Like, what about Portland? What, what about Portland? What about giving Dame Lillard uh, uh, another ball handler? Go well with Dame Lillard, though. That's the issue. Because, like, you, you would have to give up C.J. McCollum in that trade. And I think I, I think it could be time to move on from the McCollum-Lillard duo. Um, I think we may have even talked about it. I don't know if a guard duo like that can win the league um just with nothing around them however i don't know if simply because then you're taking away points and you're taking away like then rather than having to go for mccollum who's a pretty good shooter you can go and start double up more lillard and that's just gonna mess things up i mean that is one of the options here though i'm on complex and one of the things i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say that he's as good as cj mccollum but they do still have norman powell a dame lillard norman powell backcourt you throw ben simmons in there as like a no, they don't, they As like an A plus defender no, 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 and another no, no, ball no, no, handler, no, no. and let them roll, let them run off ball. I don't know, man. No, 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 no. Who they trade because Norman Powell's not there. He's with Raptors. No, Norman Powell's with Portland, right? No, he was with the Raptors. He's one of the guys I talked about with him. Did he go back to the Raptors? Yeah, yeah. He was traded from. Uh, I mean, Why is Wikipedia I mean, saying he's still with Portland? It said that it was on the Raptors. I look it up and it says he's on Portland. So I'm confused. I, I don't know how I'm hearing that he's on Portland and Toronto. He can't be on two teams. He, he got tra- he got traded to Portland this year. That's that's crazy though. Okay, the, I mean I don't know. The, supposedly he's on two teams at once because I I saw one <laughs> thing, I saw one thing that said that he, they saw Norman Powell. It might you know what it might be the NBA trade machine and the fact that it's never updated. That's yeah. That might be right. No, I, I, I mean, yeah, I I actually do, and I hadn't even thought about that. But I love Golden State as an idea. I'm nervous for Portland because I think you have to get another consistent scorer, and I don't think that they have that. Um, but Complex has a few ideas that they tossed out, and I'll even see if I can find another article after this. But the, the second trade idea, which I, I don't agree with at all, is him going to the Bulls for Levine and Alfred Kaminen. What is that? That's terrible. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that is absolutely terrible. At all. Like, that's, that's just a bad deal. Like, you're getting rid of your best scorer in, like, one of the better players from like last year when he was getting in stride for someone, you know, who's just going to pass the ball to your other point guard. Who's going to pass the ball to someone else. No, no, oh, no. I have some, I have something interesting here from CBS sports a couple of days ago. Uh, favorites as Ben Simmons, next team, if traded and you got Portland at number one, San Antonio at number two, that one doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then the wizards and bulls at three and four. And then the warriors at five. He's a defensive guy, and Pop loves his defense. That's true, but at the same time, it's like you're saying, where's the scoring? And San Antonio no, doesn't yeah, have, I, like, knockdown shooters right now. Yeah, no, I 100% agree, but that's the, the reason why they're probably up there. Now, the one team that I did think of, which kind of goes in line with your Golden State thing, and I think you might like this team, maybe not the trade that Complex offers up, but this was the first team that came to mind for Simmons for me, is trading him to the Clippers. And the 76ers in return uh, in this deal, they get Luke Kennard and Pat Beverly, while the Clippers get a 2023 lottery protected first in Ben Simmons. 
Okay. Mm. That makes sense to me. I don't know how that's any different than the Sixers team with Butler and Harris, though. Not, and obviously Paul George and Kawhi are better than those two. But again, it's just in terms of the floor spacing and sharing the ball. Well, the difference, and is I feel like, and I feel like defensively, Los Angeles is already good enough. I know they uh, are pretty strong defensively, particularly with Pat. But I think when I think about it, I think about it like this: there's a reason why Ben Simmons is still a, a point guard in this league. He should be. He really should be a forward, whether a small forward or a power forward. He should be a forward. He's got the build for it, and he doesn't shoot the three ball. I don't know why he still thinks that he can be a, a point guard. The only way he could be a point guard is if you had a three-point guard or, or a three-guard system. And there's not really many teams that I think run necessarily that anymore or at least run something that's directly like that. So if you're trading him to the Clippers, he's still going to be a point guard, particularly if you're trading Pat Bev. You don't have to necessarily trade Pat Bev. There's probably some other guys that you can throw in. But you, you, you trade him there. You still have that defense. Um, and the, the biggest thing about trading him from 76 to Clippers is he doesn't have to be the number two school. Like Tobias Harris is good. I like Tobias Harris, but he, uh, Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons are both not, you know, like these dominant scores like Joel Embiid is. And when we've talked about, you know, with uh, Luka Doncic, you need another reliable score, someone who can put up those points for your team. And I think when you're going on to a team like the Clippers, that provide a lot of good defense with the structure that Rivers was able to set up with them. Paul George is someone who's shown us though, maybe not necessarily last game. He's someone who can be consistent and be good in the playoffs though. As I said, we had playoff P last game. And then if Kawhi Leonard stays healthy, Kawhi Leonard's kind of that leading man. So I think a three for them, Simmons will be able to find more space and Simmons in particular would be able to stay as a point guard, which I think is his wish. Otherwise, I think he'd be transitioned off that by now. Uh, the, I think the only person that's keeping Ben Simmons at point guard is Ben Simmons. Otherwise, I feel like Doc Rivers would 100% have said, no, you're playing the three. Like, if, if he was able to, he would. So The whole, you know, Joel Embiid answer of, you know, oh, I think the game was lost when we passed up a bucket for a free throw and we missed one. And then Doc Rivers saying, I can't answer that right now to yep. Ben Simmons being a, you know, championship point guard. Ben Simmons is gone. I, I, I don't think that that's a hot take. I, I think everyone understands that he's out of Philadelphia this year. It's just a matter of when. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just – it was crazy. And, look, obviously, I, I like what uh, – I, I was listening. It was late at night. It was after the Hawks beat them uh, in the conference semis. And I was listening to Ron Perez on Twitter. He had just, like, one of those spaces where, you know, you're just talking – basically like internet radio on Twitter. Um, And he said, you know, it's the best of seven series. The NBA does it right. It's not like a fluke. The Hawks are the better team. And I, I don't disagree with them. I think that they are. Um, So I think that's a good way to go into the Eastern conference finals. And I guess both, both finals uh, in the conferences. Um, I mean, I didn't watch the first game of the Eastern conference and I only was able to watch the end of the Western Conference Finals Game 2, I watched pretty much all of Western Conference Finals Game 1, which was electric. Um, Devin Booker and Trey Young are here, man. And they are very, very fun. Uh, that first game, where it was Devin Booker, basically just lighting them up from all over the floor uh, for that first game win. 
an electric atmosphere in Phoenix. And then obviously the game two ending with the DeAndre Ayton lob pass was just crazy. The fact that it took 33 minutes for the last 90 seconds of the game to be played is ridiculous, but also super entertaining. Um, and then Trey Young going off last night. And I, I was just box score watching because again, I couldn't catch it, but I mean, Trey Young absolutely lighting it up. He's having an amazing playoff run. Uh, and Chris Middleton building brick houses in Milwaukee for the less fortunate is just, I mean, my goodness, an incredible, an incredible run right now uh, in the playoffs. Very excited that it is these four teams. I mean, we were talking about it a couple podcasts ago when it comes to the, um, you know, big brands in sports. These four teams haven't won a championship, I think, since the 70s, you know, combined. And some of them don't even have rings. Uh, it's just so fun. It's so much fun. And, um, man, I'm, I'm telling you, it's just, it's so fun. I I have no other words to say. Um, but Hey, I want to give you props because right now it's looking like it could be your finals prediction. You know, you got that Hawks, uh, you got that Hawks Suns prediction up a couple minutes, a little while ago, but Man, it was. No, no, I, I, I buck sons. I bucks. Oh, you have buck sons. Okay, no, yeah. you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's on me. That's I mean, on me. But it, it still could happen. But the, the sons, man, the sons look really good. And I just saw that Chris Paul is coming back for game three tonight. Oh, yep. boy. That, that's going to be fun. Sons have looked great uh, throughout that series. And they've looked great throughout the playoffs. I mean, I'm just happy that I called it on the first thing. And I just. No matter who makes it in the playoffs on the east side. Um, because I mean, I'm sorry to write off the Clippers, but fact of the matter is, is you're without Kawhi Leonard and you just lost two games in a row to a team without CP three, who's been one of the best players in the NBA this season. I just think that the Suns are the by far team to beat. And yeah, I, I just don't know what team in the East would really stand a chance. I mean, I think that the Hawks could possibly make it through but I feel like Milwaukee would stand more of a chance just because I think they match up better. So it's just all in all, I think I'm very confident in saying that I would be willing to put like, like money right now on the Suns. but I just don't know if like, like who can match up quite necessarily. I'm happy the Bucks were able to make it through. Uh, That was a fun game to watch that game seven against the Nets. And then, Obviously, at the game seven of uh, Atlanta, Philly, and Trey Young, as we talked about more and more, we, we talked about like a, a pod or two ago. Um, this is your time to build stars. Trey Young is building himself to be a star. Like he, he was already good. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not saying he was bad before, uh, even like I said earlier. But the fact of the matter is, is this playoff run is making his career right now. This is taking him from being a star to being a superstar and getting him into that Doncic range. Because he's still been without, like, for the last game. They were without DeAndre Hunter. And if I remember right, DeAndre Hunter's been one of the better players and one of the, like, the like marquee guys for Atlanta this season. And you win a game without DeAndre Hunter, I think they've even won multiple games without him. Like, that's crazy. And the fact that Trey Young – um if I remember right, it was tweeted out that the Bucks, or like it was shown on ESPN, like before that game, um, that the Bucks had not lost a game at home in the during the playoffs, or they won like nine rows or, or something like that. And then game one, Trey Young drops fifty, like just shy of fifty points. Just like the the fact that he's able to do that and show up in Milwaukee, 
with a little bit of a battered team. He's throwing the team on his back. He's throwing the city on his back. Trey Young has been incredible. And the fact that he's able to take one game, let alone the first game, um, and then they'll obviously have two games in Hotlanta. This is – it's become a very exciting ex- uh, series because I thought that Milwaukee just kind of outmatched them in general. But the fact that Trey was able to pull that off, Milwaukee needs to find – like, it, it's very, you know, it's a hard thing to do, but it's an easy thing to point out. You, you've got to isolate Trey Young. You've got to stop him, period. And you, you can't, but – so maybe I should change my words. You have to slow him down. You can't let him do about 50 Because if you let him put up, like, what he did last night more or even close to that, it's over. The series is a wrap, and the Hawks would win in, like, five games. But I do think Milwaukee have the answer for him, and Drew Holiday just needs to be that guy. He needs to be that guy. He needs to be be that answer. Holiday is the key to stopping Trey Young. And then you need Giannis to pop off, or, or at the very least, Chris Middleton, as you were uh, DMing with me, not building a house. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think you're going to have a lot of people flocking to Milwaukee with all the empty houses that Chris Middleton's making from three. I mean, my goodness. Um, no, and it really is that difference. It's just Chris Middleton scoring a couple more because, I mean, they only won by two. So this is going to yeah. be a very close series. It could go to seven. And you know, if the rest of the Bucks supporting cast steps up, then I think that they do still have a very good chance of coming back in this series. Losing that first game at home uh, hurts, but I mean, they still have plenty, still a long way to go. Um, I see no reason as to why they can't win for the next six. Um, and that's it. Whereas on the other side, man, with Chris Paul coming back tonight, I, I, I'm thinking sweep. I'm honestly feeling sweet. I think that they, that Paul George could have like some heroics in game four when they're down three Oh, and just give them barely a three, one, uh, series going into game five. But then I, I think that this is all but over for the Clippers. I think that Devin Booker is just, he's too good. And the fact that Cameron Payne had, was the one that had such a good game in game two. I mean, come on, man. Like that, that, that just screams team of destiny. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that, you know, obviously no CB3 and you're not forcing Devin Booker to throw the team on his back you know, and, and, you're, and you're letting Cameron Payne go off, like that was just so out of the blue. I mean, hell of a game for him. Congrats to him. But the, the, the fact that you let him go off comparatively to having Booker throw up like a 50 like Trey Young did is wild. So, yeah, I think with CP3 returning, I do agree that it's a sweep, which supports my theory even more that like, I do think that the, you know, the Bucks Hawks series isn't going to be a sweep. It's probably not even going to be a five game series. It'll probably be at least six because I think Milwaukee will pull back at least a game or two. That leaves the question, a rested Suns team with CP3 coming back off. Uh, I think it was COVID protocol though, but still, yes. CP3 coming back off from that. And, uh, you know, you'll, you're, you're going to be able to health, uh, keep healthy particularly after you've swept two teams in a row and beat the Lakers prior. I don't know how any, either of those East teams can stop the Suns if the Suns have rest. Yeah. And the Suns right now are even odds uh, from at least one book that I've seen. Cause you were talking about, you know, being confident, putting money on them. I mean, even money is, it's not plus money, but it's, it's still good value. It's good enough value. It's better than minus money. Um, That's true. 
so man, I, yeah, that, that Phoenix, this Phoenix team is very, very exciting. And honestly, I haven't felt this excited about a team in the NBA since golden state's first championship in terms of just from a neutral fan perspective, like watching a team win and be like, Oh yeah, I can get behind this team. This is a very exciting team to watch. Um, oh, for sure. yeah, this, this Phoenix team is, it's built different and you know, sons and four that's, that's the mood for all of the rest of these playoffs. Um, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. And look, even if they say they do sweep the Clippers, it's, it's not a concern to me that they're going to like have to pick up some rust because they're rested. They already showed me that they can win off of rest after sweeping the nuggets and coming in and taking game one from the Clippers who had to go six games with, with the jazz. Like that, that to me is not an issue with the Suns team at all. Phoenix is just that team. As you said, they are the team of destiny and it's just so it feels so like, Obvious to see. Yeah. I just I, I, I don't heard, see anything. I, yeah, I agree. I disagree. I agree with you. I, I can't see another team either. All right. I want to get into this now because um look, uh, the NBA the NBA has a lot of stories to go on, and we'll still continue to go through this as the playoffs continue. Man, I gotta talk about this. I talked about it last week with the first update, but this is crazy. The MLB sticky stuff stuff thing, uh, it started to get enforced. Three days ago, yesterday, Rob Manfred came out and said, oh, the last two days have been great. You know what the last two days have been? It's been of managers and umpires going up to pitchers and telling them to take off their hat. Um, the Detroit Tigers, Casey Mize, who is one of our young stars, he had to get his glove changed. It's a glove that he's been using for his entire MLB career so far because it was too light. It was too light of a color. Like, what are we doing here? And then we have, you know, Shohei Otani and Max Scherzer and Sergio Ramo uh, having to drop their pants or just take off their belt because, oh, you might have a sticky substance, you know, under your belt right now that we think that you might be using to get better grip on the ball. Like, what are we doing here, man? And the players are obviously pissed off about this. And I I looked it up yesterday just to make sure, but the CBA ends December 1st. There's never going to be a negotiation before then. I honestly don't think we're going to have a 2022 baseball season. And this is just going to be another story we have covid and we have all of the players and owners fighting and now we have this where it's not the owners but it's literally major league baseball itself coming out and going against the players wishes and i don't think the i think there's going to be a labor strike next year i don't think we're going to have a baseball season because these owners and these players and this commissioner just cannot work together and it's a terrible relationship and it's so bad for the sport and Look, I'm sure you've seen the video. I don't want to get too much into it other than the fact that I think it's a disgrace. I think Rob Manfred is terrible at his job. I think what he's been doing with this situation is awful. And just seeing Max Scherzer wig out at Joe Girardi. Yeah. Man, it's such a bad look. It's such a bad scene right now. Baseball right now is a mess. And I don't know. At least Jonathan Scope's crushing the ball, though. So that's exciting for me. But I can't, I can't say, I can't say I'm happy about any of this, about any of this stuff, man. It's just so sad to watch. Yeah, no, I, I do think it's uh, a bit ridiculous, a bit crazy. Um, it's going to an extent that I wouldn't have imagined. Um, however, I mean, hell, big up some Max Scherzer though. The man was willing to just absolutely just stripped down he was i mean he was mad it was out of anger but the watching that video though i was like i was laughing but i was laughing and it was like out of respect for scherzer because like 
dude absolutely took that like a champ. And uh, just the fact that he was, if I remember it, he still had a really good game against the Phillies. But the fact that, like, like, because I remember the story, the fact that Girardi was able to call three times for the ump. And it's, it's ridiculous. Like, oh, he's like, no, it, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Stop. We don't, we don't even have a th- we don't even have a saying for doing it the third time. That's how ridiculous it is. Yeah, there's, there's none. <laughs> the only one is third time's the charm, and you're not gonna catch him three. You're not gonna catch him after a third time and be like, oh, the sticky substance was somehow under my knee, and I had a little cut in my pants, and I was just rubbing my knee. No, no, you're not gonna have that, dude. No, it's terrible. And it, it, I, I feel like Max Scherzer is gonna come out and say more things about this because he is one of the more vocal players. Yep. Uh, in last year's contract negotiations, the CBA negotiations, he was one of the more vocal players. Um, and I, and I've loved him ever since he's, uh, he was in Detroit, obviously. And now he's in Washington and he's always still, still one of the best pitchers in the game, but man, the NBA, the NBA, the MLB needs to figure something out, man. Cause this is, this is bad. This is just very, very bad. Um, Look, I just want to run through some quick things uh, from the rest of the week, and then we can wrap up with some Euro talk, and then we can get out of here for today. Uh, I want to start a big congratulations. I didn't actually hear about this until you sent it to me. Uh, Virginia Tech alum Ian Ho has been selected for the Tokyo Olympics for Team Hong Kong in the 50-meter freestyle. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um, Amazing. In terms of what else I've heard, uh, oh, we have um, Akai Lewis. I don't, know, I don't know what he's doing when it comes to USA wrestling. I don't know when that sort of thing happens. Um, here, let me look that up real quick because I know he, w- he did some uh, U- Team USA training. Okay, let me see here. They won't, okay, so he wasn't going to compete in Olympic trials since back in March, uh, probably because of his injury. Um, yeah, he was recovering from his torn pec uh, that he got in the wrestling league season, which sucks because obviously he's talented enough to compete at the Olympic level. Um, but for Virginia Tech, awesome to hear that story. Uh, to have someone compete for his country in the Olympics. So very excited for him. Very excited to see him compete. Um, We have another blurb uh, coming out of golf from the June 7th podcast. We were talking about John Rahm testing positive for COVID and the whole storm that that created online, but he comes back and he wins the U S open. He wins another major. Good to see from him, honestly, because he, he looked, um, he, he really looked crushed. Like I said, after having it pulled out of the Memorial, when he was dominating it, he was up six strokes after the third round and he comes back and he comes back with a vengeance and, you know, good to see for him. I I, I was not one of those people that was like, Oh, well, it's cause he didn't get vaccinated, but he did. He got vaccinated. He had a shot. He just didn't ha- he wasn't fully vaccinated yet. And now he's back and I'm pretty sure he's fully vaccinated and he's going to be able to play uninterrupted. So kudos to him. Um, yeah. Good to see you for that sport. Uh, I want to talk about the Supreme court with the unanimous decision over the NCAA um yeah. we talked a little bit about it with evan hughes uh, when he was on our podcast that dropped june 4th and then we talked a little bit about it last week uh, on the podcast that wasn't um but basically they're saying that the ncaa has no right to prevent schools from giving student athletes a path to you know get revenue off of their you know work so it, it was very exciting to see the supreme court come to a unanimous decision and you know hopefully this just leads to states like virginia and every state in the country, you know, fast tracking these bills through their state houses that are saying, hey, our student athletes at our premier universities and even at our smaller ones should be able to get endorsement money for what they bring to the school. So I, I was very excited to see that. Um, 
And then probably one of the bigger news stories of the week was Carl Nassib of the Raiders uh, came out on his Instagram and in the most nonchalant way possible said, yeah, I'm gay, oh, yeah. which look, look, man, it was awesome. I, I was very happy for him um, when I saw Adam Schefter's tweet because I'm not on Instagram enough. Uh, but when I saw that he announced it on Instagram and when, when Adam Schefter tweeted it, he said that he announced it on Instagram. So I was thinking, oh, he put up a picture and wrote a long caption. No, it was just a video of him saying, yeah, hey, guys, uh, just want to come out and say, yeah, I'm gay. And that was it. Yeah. Like, that was it. And that's, that's it was so awesome. It was. <laughs> no, and I was, was so happy was for him. Um, yeah. And look, obviously, there was the disgustingness of Twitter that pretty much was all like, oh, why do we care? Here's the thing. You don't have to care or think about you know anyone's sexual orientation but the fact that in an nfl locker room there is a player a good player carl nassib is not some scrub like he's a good nfl player he's a he's, rotation yeah yeah um you know this isn't the same as like uh a michael sam story you know he gets drafted and it's a lovely scene of him in his room with his family very happy uh, but then he just doesn't make a team, and then everyone's all like, oh, the NFL and the media wanted to prop him up as some great player. Colin Nassim is good, and he's here, and he's not going to go away. Um, and I think it's good for NFL culture to, you know, not be this force where if you look from the outside, you know, maybe there is like that gay kid who, you know, isn't who, – who doesn't feel like the NFL is an accepting world, is an accepting fan base. And I think that the NFL having – a player come out and it was awesome to see because Carl Nassib's jersey sales spiked and he was like the number one jersey uh for I think a couple of days so that was awesome so you know those you know that inclusion is what the NFL should be trying to do rather than some of their performative stuff like with their salute to service where they don't do that out of the goodness of their heart or for charity no the military pays them to honor military personnel yeah which like it's it's pure showmanship um but Carl Nassim coming out and, you know, just making it plain, making it simple, saying he was gay. And it obviously hasn't impacted him in locker rooms because I've never heard anything about his uh, teammates. I haven't heard anything about him in his entire career uh, regarding it being a problem. So anyone who thinks it's a problem, they can just shove it because it's not. And I, I was very excited uh, for him. And I think it's a good step for the NFL uh, for its inclusivity. And I think that this can only be good. I think that that's all it can be. Um, and especially for those people that need to see icons, because that's the thing that, that um, accessibility to people that are like you, to more famous people. Like for me, it's not hard. I'm a white guy. I'm straight. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not in any minority, Like you know, society isn't really against me in any way. So I don't necessarily need to look hard for idols because I know that there's a lot of them out there. But for someone who is gay or someone who uh, is just less fortunate or even for communities of minorities like in this country, like seeing black communities rally around successful black athletes is incredible because they want to see people that are like them, that look like them succeed. And, you know, it was just a great win um, for the LGBTQ community. Uh, it was awesome to see Carl Nassim come out, but at the same time, it was frustrating to see, and I think this is a good segue for Euros, uh, it was frustrating to see UEFA, was it UEFA or FIFA, deny 
uh, Germany from putting up the pride flag in its stadium after uh, the Hungarian government pretty much had a massive discrimination law against LGBT people. Was that UEFA or FIFA's decision? Uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, God, I, I would think that had to be on UEFA, but no, as you said, it, I think it's specifically with Hungarian bit. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but it was still nice to see. It was still nice to see like Bundesliga teams light up their stadiums with pride flags. And uh, Manuel Neuer had a pride flag armband on while he was goalkeeping for Germany against Hungary. It was, it was very nice to see. Yeah, I, I, I mean that type of stuff's crazy, and it's just you know we're, we're still in the time where it's hard to like you know being able to come out and being able to have same sex marriage is still you know pretty fresh. And it's, it's, it's something that, you know, it's not like we've had it for years and years and years. So, yeah, I mean, people still have every right to, you know, feel nervous. And like, as, as Carl Nassif was, was he wasn't willing to come out with it, like, publicly. And, and now that he's comfortable to come out with it publicly, it's it's just always when you have something like this. And in particular, when you have, like, the BLM process and whatnot, you just hope that that type of change can continue or those these types of, like, this type of positivity can continue so we can see a change in our society. So as you said, I, I absolutely agree. And it's great for people to be able to say like, Hey, this person's exactly like me or like you, you can see yourself in that person. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. But um, it's just great to be able to say, uh, see this type of stuff in, in a world where there's still a lot of hate to have something uh, like, like this, that's a bright piece um, is very enjoyable to see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and with that said, uh, I think I want to get into Euros now. I want to swing it over to you. Actually, I, I don't want to go too deep into group stage play because, look, we can just recap and we can just talk about, like, okay, who's in the 16? And I can hold you to uh, your original bracket that you have. I have it pulled up. Um, but but I, I just want to go through this because here, here's what I have. I took a picture last night because I wanted to make sure that I had this. So for the teams that did not make it, through the group stage, we have Turkey, Finland, Russia, North Macedonia, Scotland, Slovakia, Poland, and Hungary. Now, yeah. um, in your original bracket, you had three of those teams make it through to the knockout, but they just and they just yeah. didn't. You had Scotland, Poland, and Turkey making all making it through. You did not anticipate Ukraine, Czech Republic, or Wales making it through. So, I guess of those three, the three that you missed predicting to go in and the three that you said predicted to go in but they didn't which of those three do you think is the most surprising to you um i think the team that i can guess the thing i'm gonna guess that turkey is the most surprising team that missed you because that to, to me every commentator group said that turkey was the most disappointing team in europe this year so so okay i can give you most surprising to miss and most surprising to make it as well so for making it, I'm just kind of surprised with Ukraine, and because uh, not not because of they're having a bad offense, uh, like a bad offense, but because when you when I kind of looked at their team, I'm like, all right, they they have some good players here and there, but they don't really have anything that's really lighting my world on fire. And I knew that North Macedonia was a team that uh, coming into the Euros was a team that could like you know pull off an upset or pull off like a steal points or something. And I thought that there's a possibility that you know maybe they can draw Ukraine one one. Uh, or 2-2 or something like that. And uh, maybe like Netherlands batters them because Netherlands just has a great offense. And then Austria, uh, 
I thought that maybe they could do something, but yeah, you, Ukraine kind of uh, surprised me there. And I mean, they got in on goal differential. Um, they were just one, uh, like they were two goals removed from uh, not being in and Finland being in like two goals getting scored on them. But uh, no, I mean, good for them. And I think that they will have a little bit of a test for Sweden, but the team that surprised me the most um, out of those, it's gotta be, I mean, you know, it's the fool me once type of thing as we were talking about earlier, but it's Poland. I mean, just the fact that a team with a someone that should have a Ballon d'Or in Robert Lewandowski, a, a team with that type of goal scorer and that type of striker and that type of player can go and not only not qualify for the group, but finish at the bottom of their group. Finishing below Slovakia, who beat them 2-1 in the opening game after Kuchaviak got a red card, um, Kuchaviak being their holding midfielder. It's just embarrassing. And something needs to change in Poland if they not only want a chance at uh, 2022 World Cup of even looking half decent, but moving forward. Because Lewandowski's maybe got maybe one more Euro cycle in him, and then he's probably done. He's probably going to retire from the national team. I wouldn't even be surprised if he retires after the World Cup play. So for a team like that has been so mediocre, particularly with such a good player, if uh, if you guys want to do anything and you know you want to show Lewandowski, who's going to be one of, if not the best Polish player of all time, if you want to show him any sort of respect, you have to have changes now. So that that they were my biggest surprise, just because I thought Lewandowski was going to ball out. And I thought that Poland was finally going to have something. I was in our first podcast. Um, I went back through our last two episodes, our episode that we did, uh, and then yeah. our July, our June seventh episode. The June seventh one at the end was when you gave us a full preview uh, of it, and you highlighted some groups and you highlighted some teams. Your under the radar teams, you said Belgium, who went three, who won all three games in their group. You had Switzerland, who went one one and one, and then you had the Netherlands, who went. 3-0, and you went, uh, you highlighted Daniel, is it Malin or Milan? Uh, Daniel Malin. Daniel Malin, all right. And you highlighted him who had two assists in group stage play. And then you had Poland as your fourth team that was sort of your under-the-radar team, and they just, they, they weren't good. They weren't good, and it was it was interesting to watch, and they, you know, it came down to, hey, if they can win this game against Sweden, they're in. You know, they, they can get that fourth point, they can uh, get into the knockout round, and it just didn't happen. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one team that I thought was they did they uh, really did all, but yeah literally Glennison I don't know why he went to cover uh, I'm forgetting the Polish player's name who he went to cover but um, Victor Nusselindorf was already covering him in the box and Glennison's like oh let me come over too and just leave you know uh, Bundesliga I think record breaking goal scorer someone who should be a Ballon d'Or winner uh, Champions League winner uh, infinite amount of time uh, Bundesliga title winner Lewandowski let, let me leave him open I'm going to go after this guy who I've never heard of and just leaves Lewandowski open middle of the box and he just you know it's a tap in on Robin Olsen so Sweden gave him the chance they said hey here's your 2-2 tie game Forsberg got us two and we subbed him off and now you guys score two just get one more and you guys are in and we finish uh, at, at that point Sweden would have finished I think below Poland, or if not, they would have been equal with Poland. Maybe, I mean, they would have been equal in points, maybe beating them on goal differential. But no, 
then pull him, go and choke it in the 93rd minute uh, to uh, Sweden burying it. I think it was Kleison who buried it. It's just, Poland just lets you down. And I'm so sorry for Polish fans that your team has done this. They got, I think, the weakest group stage in the last World Cup, and they finished at the bottom of it. And now they have a group that isn't the weakest group. I mean, Spain and Sweden are no slouch. Like, they're two really solid teams. But then Poland again, it's like I think that they had the by far goal, best goal scorer there. Lewandowski scored three of their four. They get knocked out. Yeah, it's definitely tough. Um, I want to run through. So you highlighted four groups in that first pod. Uh, you talked about Group A. You talked about Group C. You, you labeled Group C as very meh. Would you still say that you uh, agree with that assessment? I mean, three of their teams made it in. Yes. <laughs> All right. It's still, uh, then, it's still a very meh group. Very, still very, very uh, meh group. I, I would probably still agree with you. Um, you had Group D. Uh, you didn't really highlight any of the teams, but you did label Scotland. You thought they were underrated, but they were a goalkeeper away. Um, I mean, they need some offense. They only scored one in three games, so that's not going to get you anywhere. Um, yeah, no, Shea, Shea Adams disappointed. I, I thought Shea um, Adams would pop up. Do you want to highlight England real quick? Because England only scored two, but they finished top of the table. What are your thoughts on them? I'm not fully confident in England. We're going to talk about it when we get into the round of 16, but the fact of the matter is, is they haven't looked strong. Um, those two goals came both from not only like not Harry Kane at all. It was Raheem Sterling who scored both, which is a surprise to, you know, me, amongst <laughs> probably many others. But right. the fact of the matter is, is the first goal that they scored was to top Croatia. And that goal against Croatia was against the run of play. Croatia was uh, starting off really strong in the second half. And then out of nowhere, their defense just kind of collapsed and Raheem Sterling was left with the tap in. Um, <laughs> and then the second goal came against uh, the Czech Republic. And uh, I, I think it was like an easy tap and header or something, but it's not like England's looked phenomenal. They had a draw against Scotland nil-nil. So they haven't been a strong team. I feel like Southgate is not only disappointing the English fans a little bit, but is also kind of just, uh, I, I think he's not getting the, the squad right, though with Mason Mount now getting injured, not that he's been bad, but I think it's kind of forced Southgate to try to, try some new things against like the Czech Republic, but yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit like uh, not confident in England. They, they really have to, you know, they'll have to put in some work the, I'm not sold on them yet. Sure. Sure. Uh, and then of course you highlighted the group of death group F, which man, I was so ready today after yesterday's game, after yesterday to get on here and play the Hungarian national anthem and just basically force both of us, mainly you, because I don't have any stake in this, uh, to apologize to them for just kind of labeling him as just there in this group. Man, forget the um, forget the Portugal game. They played France uh, down to the wire, and then their defense just kind of let uh, Mbappe and Griezmann uh, create an equalizer there. And then they played Germany down to the wire, and they caught Germany sleeping after the Havertz goal, and they take it right back, and it looks like they're going to win, and Germany's going to get knocked out, and Hungary's going to make it through the knockout stage. And they looked like they played uh, with a lot of passion. I was very uh, impressed with how Hungary played uh, yeah, against France and Germany. Yeah. Can I ask you about this then? Just real quick, and then we'll get into group stage play, and I'll ask about your bracket. Um, okay, the Germans. 
yeah. Germany is kind of in a, I don't want to say a weird spell. So they lose to France, right? And then after that loss, I'm seeing the graphic by ESPN. And I'm seeing yeah. them talk about the recent German national team struggles. Like they didn't make an out of group stage play uh, at the World Cup. And then, you know, they have this, they, they almost have this slip up in group stage play in Euros. You know, if they don't get that equalizing goal to make it 2-2 against Hungary, they're not in. They're not in the 16. Um, and then they, as of right now, they still have plenty of time to go. They still have seven more games. But in World Cup qualifying, they're not at the top of their group for UEFA uh, qualifying. They're not even in the top two. As of right now, you know, they just lost to North Macedonia. Um, is there a concern with Germany in terms of the national level? Um, I mean, that's a great question. I'll, I don't know if there's concern enough to say that, like, they aren't going to qualify for the World Cup. Though you, you have had teams like Netherlands and Italy choke and not make the World Cup in the past. So, I mean, Germany would be a big national team to talk about in that type of regard, particularly when Hansi Flick is going to be coming into the team after this tournament. Uh, so they'll have a new manager. But I, I think in what I've noticed as someone who, I mean, I'm part German, so I, I do try to, like, follow Germany, you know, since the U.S. tend, like, particularly at the, at the last World Cup when the U.S. didn't qualify, Germany and Sweden were kind of my de facto teams. Um, the issue to me with Germany right now is how they line up their team. I don't think that they're really built necessarily for how Jürgen Lowe plays the team, uh, particularly because he plays Kimmich out at right wing back. It's kind of like uh, with Austria, I may have talked about this on the pod, but I know a lot of people talk about this in the footballing community, including like I've talked about it with friends and whatnot. The fact of the matter is, is that David Alaba for Austria is way more than a center back. And he's, you know, throughout his career kind of built up to that point. The same thing as Joshua Kimmich. Kimmich is way more than a right back, right wing back. He should be playing in the center of the park. Um, Gretzka has been coming off of injury. So I know that that's been a bit of an issue. Um, and now Gretzka is finally back. I think he's probably going to get starting minutes. But if Jurgi Lowe wants to make a good impression and wants to help establish for Hansi Flick, I mean, Hansi Flick's a former Bayern manager. He'll probably do this anyways. But if he really wants to help out Hansi Flick and help out the German national team, he's got to play Kimmich and Goretzka in the midfield with either Kroos or Gundogan. Um, I, or I, I think it's Gundogan. I could be wrong. But um, I would probably say him because he's a little bit more offensively minded. Um, of a midfielder however it's just at the end of the day I don't I don't think that this like lineup fully fits the Germans and particularly as I said where Kimmich is lined up I think it makes it to where it takes him out of the play more and he's someone that can really help out and hold up in the midfield and really like you know give your midfield stability um, not like a Cruz and Gundogan pairing with two attacking mids and Sané and Havertz I mean uh, one thing I think I even remember talking about Germany, you guys have so many class wingers. Stop playing them at the attacking mid or playing Nabri is kind of like a uh, as kind of like a false. I, I, he's not even really a false nine. He's with how the formation is built, but I think that's what he naturally would be. Stop doing that. Just play Nabri out of the right mid wing. Play Sané out the left wing, and then find yourself a striker. Whether it's Mueller in a false nine, whether it's Werner in a false nine, I don't care. So there's, there's struggles, but I think it's struggles because Yergi Lowe is stuck with playing this 3-4-2-1, and it's just not working how it should. It's a very inconsistent lineup for Germany because, um, you know, they lost one nothing in their first game. Then they battered Portugal, I think it was 4-2, to 
and then they almost lost to Hungary, but they drew 2-2 in the end. Like, they almost choked the group stage of another big competition because Yergi Lowe, like, didn't change the starting 11. Like, he barely changed it, and there's some poor lineup choices. So, it's just, it's weird. And I think with Hansi Flick, it'll make things different because I think he'll run the team in a different way. But right now, Germany is very concerning. And it's ironic that you bring up Germany and England because they're the matchup of who's going to mess up their starting 11 the least. That's how I feel that game's going to go. So then, yeah, how about we get into your um, group of 16 predictions? I don't want, I don't need a full breakdown of honestly every single game. Um, yep. I'm looking at your bracket right now and I'm just looking at your semifinals. You had Italy, Portugal, France, and then the Netherlands in your initial bracket. That's impossible because three of those teams are on the same side. Um so how are you feeling? Are, are you still feeling confident about a team like the Netherlands? What are you looking at in terms of your semifinals as of right now? And you just want to run through each game really quick, give me a win-loss, and then maybe give me a final uh, champion at the end of all of this. Oh, I will also go ahead and even uh, send this to you because this is my rough draft right now. It might even be my final. But um, but here's how I currently have things going, right? We'll, we'll go game by game, and I'll go pretty quick. Belgium-Portugal is a match that I don't think anyone would have expected in the round of 16. Um, it's going to be really hard. I've talked about Portugal's defense. Obviously, they let me down against Germany. Um, and then France is France, so it's going to be a hard fight. Um, but I think the fact of the matter is, is if Bruno can play and if, if, if Portugal not only has the right lineup, but if their defense can stay strong, like Rui Patricio had some incredible saves against France, I think Portugal can beat Belgium. However, Kevin De Bruyne is coming off of injury and uh, looking pretty good. Lukaku has been good throughout the tournament. Um, and again, I think it's a little bit, I, I think for a lot of teams, it's a lineup thing. I think Belgium need to know after that Russia game that they played in the match day one, they got to have Boyata as central center back. And I think if they do that and they have Denayer and Alderweireld in that back three, it's going to be really hard to get by them. Um, and I do have Belgium moving on from that game currently just because I I feel like I have a little bit more trust in Belgium being able to find creativity than Portugal because uh, if you look at Portugal's goals that they've scored, they might be one of the top scoring teams, but five of those goals come from Ronaldo with I think three of those goals, if not four of those goals being penalties. So I'm going to go Belgium. They haven't been a team to, I think, give up a penalty yet. Maybe they gave up one against Russia. I don't quite remember, but that's why Belgium. Italy, Austria, very strong on this one. Austria does not have the level of team to me to be able to compete with Italy. So I go with Italy. Italy's been consistent and they've been dominant. Uh, two, three, nothing wins and a one, nothing win. You even talked about like they haven't lost a game in a long time. Last time they had nothing. Something that wasn't a win was a draw back in October of uh, last year. They so haven't Italy. conceded a goal in Almost a year. Like, come yes. on, man. That's r- ridiculously overpowered. Austria is a good team, but they don't really have the offense to be able to compete with Italy. And Italy's defense has been stout. So give me Italy. France, Switzerland, again, it's quick. Uh, I, I like Switzerland, but they didn't show up when they needed to against Wales. And that has cost them here a matchup with Denmark, um, which is, you know, not to be rude to Denmark, but they're a lot easier of a matchup than France. 
Uh, France is better at everywhere in the park, and Switzerland's not going to be able to play their game against France. Switzerland's game is to have uh, like a good bit of possession and to get your chances in that way. That's not going to happen. France is really good at maintaining the ball with Conte and Pogba in that midfield. France wins. Uh, Spain, Croatia, this is a bit of a toss-up. Um, the reason I'm going Spain is because Spain's defense has been stout throughout the group stage, and I'm someone who's big for defense. But then on top of that, Croatia hasn't looked great. They had a shining moment against Scotland, but that was about it. Like, Modric had an incredible shot, but that was really it. They had to fight back into that Scotland game, a team that looked kind of eh. Um, losing the Czech Republic 2 nothing, and as well as, uh, I think, drawing with England, though obviously that's a way better result than losing the Czech Republic. Um, but I just don't have enough confidence in this Croatian team, uh, and their defense has been a little bit shoddy at times. Uh, I think if I remember right, I was surprised that Scotland didn't score a goal. It should have probably been 3-2, um, but Scotland choked away an opportunity. So... I think Spain has a way better defense. I think it's going to be hard for Croatia to break that down. And even though Spain's offense gives me concerns at times, I think it'll be enough to get by Croatia. Sweden, Ukraine, this is just going to be a fast matter of if uh, Sweden's not going to choke away opportunities. Uh, I don't. I think if Sweden plays consistent or like, like some good strong defense, they'll win. Um, and if they don't, they'll lose. I think it's literally that simple. The two goals that they gave up were against Poland to Lewandowski. So it, you know, it, I, I think Ukraine has the team and the offense to upset Sweden, but I don't think Sweden will allow that to happen. England, Germany, as I said, it is the matchup of who's going to choke the starting 11 more. And in my eyes, I don't think Jurgi Lowe's going to stray away from his 3-4-2-1, and I just don't think that works for Germany. Um, I think if Jurgi Lowe was to change away from that, I would go Germany all day. Um, not even because I think they have like a better offense or anything, but just because I think their midfield would control the game. Um, but with the 3-4-2-1 in mind for Germany, I'm going to go with England. I think it's going to be a hard-fought game. And I think, honestly, um, if we go more into my bracket, I think it's something where this will give England momentum. Netherlands, Czech Republic, I honestly feel like this is low-key a game where Czech Republic could find the upset, but I'm not going with it right now. I'm going with Netherlands. Netherlands have looked good. They have a pretty solid offense. It's just a function of burying their opportunities because when I've watched them, they've looked really good, but they've sometimes struggled a little bit in the final third. Um, but otherwise, their midfield is still very strong, even without Van de Beek. Their defenses still looks um, at least, you know, like it's, it's been an acceptable enough defense, even without Van Dyke. They've only conceded two goals um, and their offenses looked pretty solid. Um, so I give that game to Netherlands. But I think Czech Republic could. I think that they have the team that could steal the game away from the Netherlands, but we'll see. And then the last matchup, Denmark-Wales. Uh, it's not far from Denmark. It's going to be in uh Amsterdam, if I remember right. So I think that Denmark's going to basically have a home stand. And on top of that, I like the Denmark team. Uh, sure, they don't have Christian Eriksen, as I've talked about, but Wales are not a dominant team. The reason that they moved on to the group stage is because they're able to get four points um, from getting that draw of Switzerland. If Switzerland would have, you know, actually played how they should have and beat them, Wales would have still been actually Wales wouldn't have been through because they, actually Wales would have still been through, but they would have been through on like that neutral goal differential, etc. Um, I just, the Wales team hasn't really sold me 
on their being talented, while Denmark sold me in that Russia game that they have not only momentum, but that they've fought back. So Denmark is the other team I take in the round of 16. So. Yeah, I'm looking at your bracket right now. Um, and how about you just give us a quick semifinals recap? And I, I do like your champion. I'm looking at your champion right now, and I agree with you. But there is the other team in the finals that I'm a little concerned, that I'm, I'm questioning a little bit, only because you've yep. already said that you were a little bullish oh, on yeah. them. So I'll, why don't you explain that? Yeah. Yep, I will. Um, so to be really quick here, quarterfinals, I have Italy over Belgium, Spain over France, England over Sweden, and Netherlands over Denmark. In the semifinals, I have Italy over Spain. Um, and England over Netherlands, within the finals, Italy over England. Um, now, here's the reason I have England. The reason I have England is um, two things. First of all, um, they have momentum at this point. At this point, they would have come off of beating the Czech Republic 1-0. They would have come off of beating Germany. They would have come off of beating Sweden, a team that is, uh, you know, kind of like great for their defense. And wouldn't you have it unless COVID does ruin this, the semifinals of Euro 2021 is going to be in London, England at Wembley stadium. So England's going to be playing in front of a home stand against okay. Netherlands. It's yeah, that, that they're going to be without. Donny I did not Van know Beek. that. They're gonna, yeah. So they'll be without Van de Beek. They'll be without Van Dyke. Um, so to me, the Germany game's the big scare. Otherwise I think they like, they'll be able to get more and more momentum. And if you're getting momentum and you're most likely having to put in goals against teams like Germany and Sweden, and then obviously, particularly Netherlands, you're going to have to put in goals. Um, if, if you're putting up like solid performances and you're on three games in a row coming up against the Netherlands, I don't know. Like, I just, I feel like it's an England thing. And then on top of that, I think there's that little bit of me that's still kind of nervous for Czech Republic. And if Czech Republic can somehow pull that game through, then you're getting either Czech Republic or Denmark in the semifinals against England or I, either probably Germany or Sweden. So I, I don't know. I just, that's why I gave it to England. It's not because I'm confident in the team. Like I'm, I'm still a little iffy on them, but it's because they're going to be at home in the semifinals and in the finals. But more importantly, it's because they get the momentum and they're more than likely having to score more than one goal against Germany and Sweden. And if you're finally able to kind of like get out of that offensive rut that you seem to be in, then I think that that means that Southgate is probably transitioning to a better lineup for the side, which means that England will probably have one of their, if not their best starting 11 under Gareth Southgate against Netherlands with like returning Harry Maguire as well. Who's the leader of that defense and the leader on that team. So that's why I have England pushing all the way to the finals. I'm not sold on it, but that's what I have. I am sold though on Italy. Um, they've just been strong for such a long time and they're just so good, man. Like, I, I just don't know what else to really say about them. Even though like I'm someone that's like, you should start Federico Chiesa. They're still dominating. Berardi has not shown a reason for why he shouldn't be playing. Um, and just everyone, like that Italian team is in sync right now. And even if they came up against France, um, e even if my, uh, my I think is a fairly bold upset to say Spain over France, even if they were to come up against them, I would still have Italy over France. Like I would have them out of, uh, over France nine times out of 10 because France has not sold me during this Euro. The only team or only two teams that have really sold me this Euro that they're like good is Italy and Netherlands. 
and actually Belgium as well, but they had a little bit of struggle against Denmark. The only reason I'm not going with Netherlands is the reasons I said for England. You know what? I think I like that explanation of momentum and, you know, home crowd for England, but I, I agree with you. I think Italy has just been very, very impressive. Um, and again, I, I can't get back. I honestly can't get past that stat that they haven't conceded a goal since October. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. I, I just think yeah. they continue that stretch. I think that they just continue to play. Um, I think the Belgium game will be a very tough uh, first draw for them, but I, I think that they will prevail. And I think that Italy will be the ones to come out of this tournament. At least from what I've seen, I, I've been watching these games as close and, as I can, and I, I think that it's going to be a very interesting uh, end. Uh, I think it really comes out on top. And I mean, even if they concede a goal to a team like a Belgium or a France, and all honestly, I don't see an Italian t- like this team breaking because of that. Like that's something where if you haven't been scored on in a while, to be scored on like particularly in this high stakes of a scenario, that could honestly break a team. But even if, like, Lukaku was to bang one, or if you have Mbappe sneaking one in, or if you have, like, for Spain, uh, Laporte off a corner, if even if any of that happens, I don't think that Italian team breaks. I think they just unify, and they come together, and they come together stronger, which is just the great thing about this team right now. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so I think there you have it. Uh, this will still be going on next week. I mean, next week we'll probably have what we'll have our semifinal set by this time next week. You think, uh, I can go ahead and actually tell you, I just need to go for the matches. Um, this time next week, we're going to have, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the semifinals are going to be played, um, july 6th and july 7th which is tuesday wednesday so mm. if we pop out the podcast like wednesday or thursday then we're going to be talking about the finals or if we pop it out maybe before tuesday wednesday then we'll have semifinals yeah i'm thinking next week so next week we'll be talking semifinals most likely yeah okay all right i'm looking forward to that and we'll definitely check to make sure that your predictions are accurate all right I, I mean, man, I hope so. If, if Italy bails on me now, I'm going to be so sad. Hey, man, I'm right there with you, so I'd be sad too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So it was good talking to you again this week. We're going to try to get that uh, yeah. episode from last week for you guys. Uh, but we want to thank you for listening. For Kilburn and Bergstrom, I'm Dan Steinbach. Thank you for listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. Have a great day and take care.